My name is Keith Beavers, and I found out that NASA shows their recruits Armageddon to learn what not to do in space. There's at least 160 mistakes being made. What's going on, wine lovers from the Vine Paired Podcasting Studios? This is the Wine 101 Podcast. My name is Keith Beavers, and you know what? I am the Tastings Director of Vine Pair. We are revisiting the Finger Lakes, but now I'm going to talk to somebody on the ground to get a snapshot of what's going on in the Finger Lakes now to get you excited to book some tickets, rent a car, and get out there. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by Barefoot Wine. When it comes to Riesling, the Finger Lakes are known to produce crisp, dry and refreshing tasting wines. Barefoot's Riesling maintains those traditional qualities via California grapes with an extra bit of sweetness. Consider it your sign to live on the sweeter side of life. Okay, wine lovers, we're going back to the East Coast. We're going to New York and we're going up north to the Finger Lakes. Yes, I did a Finger Lakes episode before. It was a very, you know, very wine 101. It's like, here's the history and all that. I wanted to talk to somebody on the ground who's from there and deeply involved in the wine industry to get a snapshot of what we're looking at right now, what it's like to go visit and enjoy that place. So I sat down to talk with Kyle Ann Palaszczuk. She is the executive director of the Finger Lakes Alliance, which is a really awesome wine alliance, one of the strongest wine alliances in the country, to talk about all of it. So uh, Kyle, let's take it away. You know, I have like the location and stuff. I want to talk about that. So maybe we can just start with like, we all know where the Finger Lakes is, but really, Kyle, where is the Finger Lakes? <laughs> Such a good question. <laughs> what do you say to people? It's It depends on who you're speaking to when you try and describe where the Finger Lakes is. Because if you're in New York City and you say it's upstate, they're like, oh, like Upper Hudson? Right. Like. <laughs> Like, no, there's a lot more to the state. But then when you're in the Adirondacks, they get really upset if you call the central New York part where we are upstate. They're like, no, we are upstate. Wow. Lake Placid is upstate. And we're not really western New York. That's Buffalo. So I would say we are central New York. Nice. You know, it's but the, the easy way to put it is that we are about a five hour drive from New York City. We're about a five hour drive from Cleveland a little bit further from Pittsburgh and Philly, you know, a little over six hours from Boston. Um, so centrally located in the generalized Northeast, I guess you could say. Okay, that's great. So it, it's an hour from Syracuse, an hour from Rochester. Ithaca technically is part of the Finger Lakes. Um, for people that, you know, know Ivy League schools, I use Cornell usually as an opportunity to sort of drop a pin um, and explain that it's in Ithaca at the southern tip of Cayuga Lake. Um, you know, I always just try and find different identifiers as to how to pinpoint it for people. Um, how do we? Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say like, so how do we get there? Did you drive, right? I mean, is there yes. airports or are we just driving there? 
There are airports there. Um, I mean, there's a lot of options. So Rochester is actually considered an international airport, as is Syracuse, if I'm not mistaken, because they do fly in and out to Canadian locations. Um, they're both they have a mix of the major airlines and some of the smaller budget airlines. Um, direct flights go into Syracuse and Rochester from like, I don't know, Charleston, Denver, all sorts of different places. There's an airport in Elmira that for some people might be super convenient. It is a lot smaller, but I do think Delta flies in and out of there. Ithaca has an airport too, but they tend to be a lot more expensive. Um, but if you're taking a plane to get here at that point, you then need to rent a car. There's not really public transportation in the Finger Lakes. We don't have um, a bus system that could bring you down here from any of those airports. We don't have trains. We don't have you know, subways or anything like that. But more importantly, once you're here in the Finger Lakes, you also want a car because we don't really have um, effective ride sharing opportunities just yet. Okay. Throughout Ithaca and Geneva, like in the cities themselves, there are ride shares. But if you take a ride share out to a winery and they drop you off, they are probably actually not going to come back and pick you up. Okay. <laughs> Had this happen at a winery I worked for on Cayuga Lake a few years ago, a rideshare brought some folks up, dropped them off, and it's about 45 minutes from Ithaca. Yeah, at the end of the day, we're sitting here going, hey, guys, like, how are you getting back? And they're they're just dumbfounded because the rideshare was like, yeah, maybe we'll be there in an hour, but we might not actually come pick you up at all. So our boss actually put him in his car and drove him back to Ithaca. That's so, amazing. Um the, the best way to do it if you're coming from within a driving radius is to just bring your own vehicle. Um, if you're here and you plan on visiting a few wineries and you don't want to spit while you're tasting, there are some um, black car services or there's some folks that will come and actually drive your vehicle. Um, a lot of resources for that would be the Seneca Lake Wine Trail website, I think, has a good collection of, of different transportation opportunities. Um, but, I mean, if you're at the wineries, you know, people are – perfectly fine if you choose to spit it's not something that you know i know the average consumer is you know generally put off by the idea of it but if you want to visit more wineries and taste as much as you can spitting is, is completely acceptable and a safer way to to taste a lot and still drive around yeah i mean science tells us there is no tasting receptors in our throats so <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know what, though? i would argue that there is some parts of the wine that you don't actually get the full experience of unless you swallow it. And a fair amount of that has to do with alcohol. Yeah. Um, the return yeah. is what we use to judge that by, but anyway, that's just, that's no, yeah. I completely agree with that. And I've, what I, this is what I love about talking about American wine countries, wine country regions is that there is this, there is something about these places where you just got to go and visit. You just got to go and hang out. And what's great about the Finger Lakes is once you get up there, you're there. And when you're there, there's all this stuff there, you know, so you can stay for a while. You don't have to like, you can play, you can go there and stay for like three or four days. And you have like what four lakes now, which we'll talk about in a second, like four lakes to, to play around with. And you even have, um, do the, do the car still, does there still car races down in, 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 Glenn. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, in Watkins Glen, at Watkins Watkins Glen. International, there's so NASCAR actually comes. It's a road course. NASCAR races every year. The Indy car races come. I, if I'm not mistaken, Formula One might even be making a return. I mean, many years ago, they actually used to race in the streets, like through the village um, of Watkins Glen, but now it's moved up onto the track. And I mean, if you have, if you're part of a fancy car club, you know, Porsche, Mercedes, um, 
Aston Martins, whatever, they, a lot of them actually rent the track out um, for weekends throughout the year. The track is always busy. And then there's always the Finger Lakes Wine Festival that happens there. I think it was actually just last weekend. Um, so there's, there's things to do here that are not just wine if you have other passions and pursuits. Right. I mean, I, that's, so I was born in Syracuse, New York, and um, my parents... Have I mean? I've, there's so many stories I hear about about the races. I they my parents would go all the time in the 70s. They were just they were there in the in the street. They, it was racing in the streets in the 70s. And it was just like it's so cool. And that's what's so cool about wine regions too. Is the wine region is there, but there's all these stuff around. It's like going you know when you're in Sonoma, you just you don't just have to go to tasting rooms. You can kayak. You can go yeah. to a redwood forest. You know, and and you're up in up in this. I mean, my God, the the geography of the Finger Lakes is stunning. It's an absolutely beautiful. There's a reason why there's a, you know, for upstate New York, there's a reason why there's a, uh, a bumper sticker saying, you know, Columbia's gorgeous. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's a gorgeous place. And these lakes, these deep, how deep are these lakes? So they're all a different depths, really. Um, Seneca is the deepest. It's over 630 feet deep, so below sea level, actually. Um, wow. Cayuga and Cuca are going to be a little bit less, somewhere around 200 and 300. Canandaigua, again, just a little bit more shallow. But they are, um, Seneca in particular, is it's called isothermal, so it actually rarely freezes. It's maybe frozen not even a, a half dozen times in well over the last hundred years. Um, the lake temperature at the, um, because it's so deep stays about 34 degrees year round. Wow. Um, it does warm up enough in the summer. I mean, that's one of the reasons why people are also coming here aside from the wines is to, you know, play in the lake and things like that. But yeah, the depths of the lakes play a huge part in, um, why we are a, a wine growing region. Really. That's the thing I was wondering. Cause like the history of this place is pretty awesome. I mean, it's one of the oldest in New York. And people can go back and listen to the Finger Lakes episode that I did. But what I wanted to ask you is, like, how has the were the lakes where it all began when when vines were being were being planted here? And they're like, this is a really great place to plant vines for 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 wine. Was the lake an immediate attraction? Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, obviously, we know the general, you know immigration folks come into New York city and then eventually they move upstate and they went up the Hudson first and across the state from there. And the finger lakes actually has almost 200 years of winemaking heritage. So the first cultivated plantings were in Hammondsport, New York in 1829, um, at a rectory, actually Reverend, uh, Bostwick planted the, the first grapevines in the region to be cultivated. And it, quickly became, you know, the folks that were living here used to grow grapes and make wine at home. And they figured out very quickly that the lakes themselves actually provide temperature moderation and the slopes around the, um, around the lakes offer a, a significant amount of air drainage. So almost immediately grapevines were planted all, all across Cuca Lake um, and expanding out towards Seneca and Canandaigua lakes from there. Um, and I mean, Prior to Prohibition, so in the late 1870s through the 1890s, Cuke Lake was the second largest sparkling wine producer in the country. That's crazy. He won the the uh, World Fair in Austria. Pleasant Valley won best sparkling wine, so what? it's called Great Western Champagne. I know. Serious? We had winemakers coming over from Champagne to make wine here. It's amazing. The majority of it was with natives. We didn't have, or sorry, hybrids. We didn't have a whole lot of vinifera just yet, 
But hybrids were so naturally um, predispositioned to make great sparkling wines. They're mm-hmm. naturally high in acidity, which you want for bubbles anyway. So, yeah, we were rocking and rolling prior to Prohibition coming in and ruining the world for oh, everyone here. God, <laughs> Prohibition and Phylloxera, these two P words. I know. I swear. I know. <laughs> they, really, they really messed us all up. Yeah, so was absolutely. And so what we know now about I mean, what the most, you know, what – the Finger Lakes is famous for, which is great. It's nationally famous for a particular variety, Riesling. Was Riesling always there? Like, is like if like when when humans are like, okay, this lake is gonna work. Was the Riesling the? I mean, I, like you said, it was it was mostly hybrids like Catawba and stuff like that. But like, when did Riesling kind of plant itself into the Finger Lakes to become the darling of the region? So post prohibition, um, at that point, if there was any vinifera planted, it probably wasn't intended to during prohibition. So most likely those vineyards might have died off and a lot of natives and hybrids were the ones who thrived. So initially when the, the industry started, you know, revamping itself um, back up, there wasn't any Riesling. But we had Charles Fournier and then Dr. Constantine Frank come and buddy up essentially in the 50s. And at that point, they both were absolutely convinced that you could grow vinifera um, in the Finger Lakes effectively, whereas previously a lot of people just thought it was too cold. The snow was an issue. Um, You know, the graft was too um, susceptible to winter damage and some things like that. Uh, And so they sort of said, you know, you guys are being silly because we can do this at home where it's colder potentially than it is here. And they started planting basically anything that they could possibly get their hands on, in particular varieties that they were familiar with that are cold hardy from from uh, back home and quickly realized that Riesling was one of the grapes, that this was just a a really well suited um, variety to grow in this region. Uh, It's it's ripening speed. It's, you know, cold hardiness in the winter, um, just made for a, a, a positive push. I think that you'll, you probably started to see Riesling taking a little bit more prominence in the seventies. And then in the eighties, um, a lot changed. There was a farm winery act in 1976 right. that allowed wineries that did a lot of really great things for the region. But one of the main things it did was that it allowed wineries to actually sell their own product, which I know sounds kind of silly. But prior to that, it was that because of the way prohibition, when the federal government repealed prohibition, they didn't want to fix the mistakes that they made. So they said to all the states here, you make your you rules. fix it. <laughs> <laughs> just however you want to do it. Just, you know, which gives us the world that we're in today, the right. patchwork quilt. But so for us in New York, we have the three tier system. So the producer sells it to a wholesaler who sells it to a retailer. So prior to the Farm Winery Act, producers actually had to sell their wine to a distributor to buy it back to sell in their tasting room, which is just silly. I'm shaking my head. So Right. So they they fixed that essentially and made it so that producers could actually just sell their own product out of the tasting room, mm-hmm. which I think became more of an opportunity to explore specific grapes and do more and sell more. Um, and perhaps that's where we started to see um, just a bigger presence of, of wine in general, but Riesling in particular. I mean, I grew up in the Finger Lakes and I remember my parents had Riesling on the table you know, throughout the 80s and 90s when I was finally allowed to start having a glass at dinner. (laughs) But um, it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely not something that was always here. We don't Mm -hmm. have the historical um, presence with Riesling, like say, I don't know, Germany, you know, places like that. Right. Yeah. But um, I mean, we're still, we've got, we've got a lot of winemaking experience and we're just sort of catching back up to where we were 
prior to prohibition, I guess you could say. I mean, Cabernet Sauvignon is not from Napa. I mean, you know, it's, 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 you know, what we did here is we've, we've found, I mean, speaking of Napa, it was Zinfandel before it was Cabernet Sauvignon. You know I mean? Regions figure it out. And what's really cool I find is it's not even about the variety. So, well, it is. Why well, should I say this? It's about listening to the soil. The variety is important, but the soil tells you what variety to, to plant. I just think it's so great that Finger Lakes stuck to one of the many varieties you work with and went with it. And what's really great about Riesling is the fact that it does have this wonderful sort of quote-unquote terroir expression, very much mm. kind of like Pinot Noir and Chardonnay does in a way. And it's so versatile in the way it can be done. You can make it dry, sweet, you can make it into sparkling. It's very, very cool. Um, and, it, and it's a very exciting in New York Finger Lakes is specifically is known for that, but um, there are other varieties happening in the Finger Lakes, you know. And I, 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 I love, you know, I, I, I do want to mention Saparavi because oh, it's yeah. a variety that um, the listeners of Wine One One may not know a lot about. But Saparavi is so you so interesting that it's there. Number one, because it's a cold climate, cool climate variety. Also, it was it was Constantine Frank's experience was that right it was his experience with it in i guess it was priest was it soviet union um originally from ukraine ukraine mm -hmm. so it's a ukrainian yep. variety and he just knew how to work with it in ukraine so i guess or in that area of the world so did he bring yep. it over to the finger lakes you know that's a good question i i wouldn't want to put words in anyone's mouth i don't know the historical movement of saparavi it you know being a native grape of of georgia it would be something that constantine coming from ukraine was familiar with so it wouldn't surprise me if it was something um that he did have i mean he was notorious for literally putting absolutely anything in the ground just to see if he could make it work right. here um but you're right saparavi is one of those grapes that it's so fun and, and interesting because being a, a tinterior grape or one whose pulp is also pigmented because most red grapes, you know, don't, right. the, the pigment's all in the skin and not in the pulp. So not only does it make an intensely colored red wine, which sometimes people, you know, while we know you can't taste color, sometimes people unfortunately assume that deep color equates quality in wine, right. which, you know, that could be a whole discussion some other we'll day. We'll do a podcast on that. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Please talk to me about that. I have opinions. <laughs> um, but I mean, especially with cool climate, but with Saparavi, the nice thing is because in cool climates, our reds tend to have less pigmentation because we have shorter growing seasons. Saparavi doesn't have that issue. So if you have someone who's coming in looking for a red wine who does associate quality with color, you put a Saparavi in front of them. And not only is it going to hit their color standards, but it's got a great balance of tannins. It's still a delicious, you know, fruit forward wine, which we tend to prefer for cooler climates. And on top of that, it hits a special note for me because it makes an amazing rosé. I mean, you barely have to squish it. Oh, yeah. Wait. Amazing rosé, and it's like hot pink. And oh. I've even had it as a sparkling rosé in the Finger Lakes. There's a few folks doing some really cool stuff. I know, right? I'm getting very excited. <laughs> this, is, this is very exciting. <laughs> but it's it's such a, an interesting grape because it's got versatility. I feel like we we use the word versatility with Riesling for a lot of good reason, reasons, but I think that that's actually something that is a little bit more inherent with cooler climates. There's versatility because right. you have to have the ability to flex and bend with our, our vintage variation and things like that so that in a cooler year, you might do something here with a certain grape versus a warmer year, you have a different method that you're going to take to it. Um, 
And that versatility is one of the things that makes just generally Finger Lakes wines wonderful. But yeah, Saparavi is a, a fun, fun, cool grape. Same as Arcat's Atelier, another Georgian grape, a right. white grape instead. You know, I, I love Riesling. I drink a lot of Riesling, but I'd be lying if I said that I, I never wanted a break from it. And so for white wines, I'm always looking for those alternatives. And Arcat's Atelier is often one of the ones that I, I look for. It's still got a nice, you know, citrus note to it, but a nice balance of acidity. And some people are actually starting to play around with like clay and fora, um, you know, Ooh. different. Yep. Some, some are doing like skin ferments. So we're getting some orange wines. That's exciting. Um, so yeah, some really neat things happening with all those. And those are probably some of the more obscure quote unquote grapes that you'll find in the Finger Lakes. But uh, yeah, I know. I went for, I went for, right, I go right to Saparavi, don't I? Right. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, there's, I mean, those, the, the, those, those, and it makes complete sense. Cause like, the skin contact is, is what these varieties are known for in their home. And so it's so awesome to see them being made here. And I love what you said about vintage specific Riesling and vintage specific cool climate varieties. And the fact that you're like, well, it depends on the vintage and what we make of it just is an absolute testament to a, a wine region that cares about the soil and the terroir and the micro meso macro climates in, in the area, because you're not just going to make Riesling to make it. You're making it depending on the vintage and what you want to do with it because of its versatility. I love that you flip the versatility thing from not necessarily the variety, but you know, where, mm -hmm. where you are. And so saying that, let's talk about the other varieties because I am a big Cab Franc fan and I love, I love the Cab Francs up there. So, um, what are some of the other varieties that you're excited about that are, that are kind of like catching fire in the Finger Lakes? Yeah, absolutely. So the, you know, while Riesling is hands down our number one white, Cab Franc is very easily the most planted red grape. And that's for a number of reasons. We've got not only um, a lot of red wine production, but a significant amount of the dry rosé made in the Finger Lakes is made with Cabernet Franc. So some folks are planting specifically, you know, uh, they're making um, clone selections on grapes that are going to be picked for rosé. It's not actually, you know, a byproduct okay. of the red wine process. That's they're awesome. Not making you know, some people are doing Seigneur, but there's more and more people that are making rosé with intent. So they're picking a little bit earlier. They might be doing, you know, an overnight cold soak or something like that and then pressing. Um, so a lot of Cab Franc is going into that. I mean, we've got dry rosés made from Syrah, from Zweigelt, from Pinot Noir, from Blaufrankisch, from, oh you know, God. almost any red grape. People are giving it a shot and seeing That's what amazing. they can do with it. But it's crazy. But I mean, we've got so much. I mean, there's a lot of Sauvignon Blanc in the region. There's great Gewurztraminers. I mean, mm. you want to talk about another grape with significant variability. Um, you know, you can do everything from dry to, to sweeter. There's uh, some people are even doing late harvest Gewurz like you do with Ooh, Riesling. Yeah. Um, and everything from super floral to super spicy. And then, you know, a, a bigger, broader palate because it's lower in acidity. Um, so, yeah, I other grapes. Um, Albarino is starting to come around in the Finger Lakes, and while Albarino, oh yeah, that's so fun. So good. That's it's so really cool. really neat. It it doesn't have the same sort of saline characteristic as it does from Spanish Albarinos, yeah. but at the same time, it stands on its own as a very independent um, flavor profile, and it's it's really fun. There's just a little bit planted. I'm hoping that there's going to be more. Um, wow. I'm, I'm sure I'm going to forget a bunch of them, but as far as reds are concerned, Lemberger or Blau Frankish is one of my favorites from the region. Um, a lot of people actually blend it with Cabernet Franc. And I think that that's a very, you know, 
exclusive Finger Lakes blend. I'm not sure I've ever Ooh. seen it anywhere else in the region. So yeah. we have Bordeaux blends and we have Finger Lakes blends. I like that. Right. Exactly. Which, <laughs> and in the Finger Lakes, we do have people making Bordeaux style blends. Some um, do label them Meritage, some don't. But usually it's going to be a Cab Cab Merlot mix mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. in most cases. Another grape that's starting to really gain popularity in the region is Gamay. So Ooh. for a while, there was just one grower producer of Gamay in the Finger Lakes, and they started selling fruit. Now other folks have put it into the ground. Um, and I think I'm really looking forward to seeing more um, regional expressions of Gamay Noir from, from different plantings around the region. Because um, it's just such an awesome – I love a red that you can throw in the fridge and, and chill, you know, Chillable, crushable, good stuff for the summer. Um, maybe not even a stemware, maybe just a stemless glass. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Throw all caution to the wind. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <cobbler>. Who knows? <laughs> well, I love what I love is see, this is what I what I love talking to people in these, you know, in, in the AVAs because especially Finger Lakes, we're, you know, known for Riesling, but look what else is going on. I mean, you have all these, the, the, the beauty of an American wine region is not just one variety. It's what the people are doing there and the excitement of what they're doing. And you just listed off some of the most exciting varieties that you don't really, you know, the, you see these varieties around the country, but, but not really, you know? So, um, what I love about American wine is that there are people there that just cannot be tied down to one thing. When you're a winemaker, you're you're kind of like out of your mind already because you have this patience that I don't other humans just don't have. Agricultural patience is not the kind of patience a lot of humans understand. Meaning right. like, oh, we lost that crop. Oh, okay. So what do you get to wait? You have to wait five years? Like, oh my God, that's absolutely insanity. So it's really amazing to see like the 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 the, the energy and everything going on here and and all that all those different varieties. How many wineries are actually in the Finger Lakes right now? Oh, I mean, it depends on what you count as a winery. So some wineries have multiple tasting rooms and some are just growers and some are just producers and, and whatnot. I'd say most people would average it between 130 and 150. Okay. And that's keeping in mind that the AVA expands over a pretty big distance. So there's 11 finger lakes. People tend to think that there's just 10 because it's the fingers, but it's, there's actually 11. Um, so it goes all the way from the Southern tier or 1786, the highway that cuts across the bottom of the state. Um, it reaches up North almost into Rochester. So if you're familiar with the Rochester area, there's a winery in Fairport called Casa Larga that's actually included in the AVA. And then it extends out both East and West to encompass all 11 finger lakes. So, the majority of the wineries are focused around, we'll go west to east, Canandaigua Lake, Cuca Lake, Seneca Lake, and Cayuga Lake, those four. But there are wineries all the way over on Skinny Atlas and, and further up on Honey Oy, you know, to the west and things like that. And even further out from there, um, if vineyards are planted a little bit further away from the water or it's a lake that's more likely to freeze in the winter, they might have to bury vines or do some different vineyard practices to to maintain the, the, the health of the, the vines, particularly if it's finifera. But, um, yeah, I mean, uh, 130 plus wineries in the region, the majority, dare I say, if not almost all are like family owned and run. They're all small producers, you know, outside of a couple, we're not making 
hundreds of thousands of cases a year. Right. There are a few that are. They're still making great wine, but the majority of the wineries fall into what I would say is more of a mid-size, you know, under 50,000 cases a year and probably you could even go so far as to say under 20,000 cases a year. Wow. So a lot of folks, when they talk about the Finger Lakes and why can't we find wines in all of the states and we can't find this and we can't find that, it's just that the wineries are so small. And so getting distribution outside of the states, they have to be selective in where they go and whatnot. Um, and then they just don't make that much wine. And there's still a fair amount of wine that's sold out of the cellar door in the Finger Lakes, which is a little bit different compared to some of the regions out west the wineries really depend on foot traffic through their tasting rooms um, to sell wine and to join wine clubs and, and things like that. Wholesale is part of the business, mm. but it's not the the main method of, of moving wine from, from wineries. Yeah, it's interesting because we have California and it's, you know, California, you know, the GDP of California is larger than many countries. So it's like, it's a huge, obviously it's going to be making a lot of wine and just people think distribution. Okay. Well, where, why can't I get this? But it's, it's the same thing with Virginia and in, in New York. Mm-hmm. And this is why I'm doing these episodes is because I yeah. feel like this, I, I honestly think it's very romantic and awesome that we don't have a big distribution out of the Finger Lakes. You have to go there and go to the restaurants and meet the people and look at these wine lists. It's all local wines and local food. And you can spend like three or four days there. And there's at least four lakes you can get to in a weekend. And it's just like, you can drink wine. You can do all the awesome things there. And just to be there and see it and be part of the American wine drinking experience is also going to the places and not just drinking the wines from the places. You know, I love it. Kyle, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. This has been so great. I'm a, I'm a native New Yorker, so for me, this is very exciting. Yeah, you know, no, absolutely. I mean, next time you need to come here, yes. we'll do this in person over a glass of wine. Absolutely. I'll bring a microphone, and we'll see what, what, what we can record. <laughs> Let's make it happen. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much. Awesome. All right. Thanks. Well, there you have it. That was an awesome chat. Thank you, Kyle, for taking the time. Are you guys excited now? I mean, I you can tell I was a little bit excited in this interview. I mean, I honestly, you know, I'm from New York and it's just very exciting. But beyond Riesling, which is amazing there, there's so much other stuff happening there. And to be there and to bop around these lakes and just, it's an American viticultural area that's really, really awesome. So just wanted to shine a light on what's happening now. Book your flights, book your cars. I'll talk to you next week. Vine Pear Keith is my Insta. Rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. It really helps get the word out there. And now for some totally awesome credits. Wine 101 was produced, recorded, and edited by yours truly, Keith Beavers, at the Vine Pear headquarters in New York City. I want to give a big old shout out to co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon for creating Vine Pear. And I mean, big shout out to Danielle Grinberg, the art director of Vine Pear, for creating the most awesome logo for this podcast. Also, Darby Seaside for the theme song. Listen to this. And I want to thank the entire Vine Pear staff for helping me learn something new every day. See you next week. EMJ Gallo Winery is excited to sponsor this episode of Vine Pair's Wine 101. Gallo always welcomes new friends to wine with an amazing wide spectrum of favorites ranging from everyday to luxury and sparkling wine. Gallo also makes award-winning spirits, but this is a wine podcast. Whether you are new to wine or an aficionado, Gallo welcomes you to wine. Visit thebarrelroom.com today to find your next favorite, where shipping is available.